0: The Fold is brought to you by O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. No mai, hoki mai ki a The Fold, e Duncan This is The Fold. Uh, and my guest this week is James Roquet. He's a comic um, and a, an actor works in works in theatre. He's just come off The Masked Singer, which is probably his most high-profile gig to date. Uh, and that's partly why I wanted to talk to him, but mainly it's because he just shot um boy mestizo which is the show he's been working on for some years it's it's a pretty incredible uh, hour of comedy it's about you know his his filipino identity about being uh an immigrant new zealander and and, to have, and speaking for and about a community that doesn't have a huge amount of visibility here what i i love the show but i love even more that he decided to crowdfund and shoot the thing like properly properly and I went to to one of the shows um at Q Theatre where they shot it it was deeply moving he cried I cried I reckon basically everyone cried which makes it sound like it's not funny it is super funny but it also like makes you think and that's kind of what we talk about is that show and sort of you know betting on yourself like saying I'm I'm 10 years deep into this career I've never been better I'm never going to have a better opportunity so I'm absent someone doing this for me which almost never happens so I'm going to have to bend the world to my will and get get the special made because that's that's the next stage for him is, is to try and sell a show to Netflix. Coming out and saying that publicly is not an easy thing in any country. It's really not an easy thing in New Zealand. It contains the possibility of it not happening. And, you know, every hater with a Twitter account um, saying, I told you so, but the dude just went and did it. And honestly, I think it's going to happen just based on the quality of the show, based on how – Easily, you can imagine it traveling about how how of the moment it is um and yeah, being in the room with a, a huge Filipino audience there as well was just uh, it was it was a moving thing, so we talk about that we talk about the sort of comedian economy in New Zealand and uh about the sort of contortions he had to do to 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 go on the mass singer, and then how he realized almost immediately that they were just totally functionless. Um, we talk about uh, proudly Asian Theatre, which is a theatre company he founded as he acknowledges basically just to get work because he was concerned that there weren't a lot of roles for people who looked like him. So it's uh, it's the latest in my creative series, and I think it's it's really good to get outside of journalism and into another aspect of the media. Uh, as always, The Fold is proudly supported by Vodafone. Uh, the spin-off runs on Vodafone's network technology and we would not be around without it. So thank you a huge amount to Vodafone for making The Fold happen. Here's James Roquet. Kia ora, James. Hey man. Hey Duncan, hiya. I'm Code man. It's um it's so good to have you here. Uh, I feel like last time I, I saw you we maybe playing basketball,
1: probably. Which yeah, we've done a bit. Yeah, a bit of pickup. I actually went to yeah, the pickup games that you usually run a couple weeks ago, but you weren't there. I
0: was like, oh, uh, that's that's almost never the case. I'm the very de- <laughs> definition of a stalwart journeyman of my game. Oh, it's so good. Are you following the playoffs? Sorry, this is all just the chat now. Just, <laughs> Damn, we're gonna uh, defer it to. Uh, basketball, I am, to but I'm like a total Damien Lillard stan. Oh, I'm and so I'm sorry <laughs> and I don't know if it'll ever be the same or okay. Again. <laughs> so uh, let's not talk about. Uh, that. Let's sorry, talk about your special yeah honestly like you we. Know, so i went and saw james a few weeks ago um doing the special that he's he's shooting and i was so moved by it and also i found the whole thing so fascinating it had this real i'm gonna shoot my shot energy about it tell me what prompted you to kind of make that big decision or describe a little bit of the, the background as well the the kind of crowdfunding element and and yeah, how that whole event came to be.
1: Yeah. So um, first of all, the show, so the show is called Boy Mestizo and I've done that show for the last two years now. And I don't know, I've, I've, it's a show that, as you know, kind of not meant a lot to me very uh, like personally and also just, it meant a lot to me as a Filipino person to be able to make a show like that and to be able to speak to those things that, you know, that I've never heard anyone speak to before in such a, like a public way. And so whenever I did the show, and I've done the show in like Melbourne and Sydney and Australia, and, and even Indonesia. But whenever I, I did the show, I would always get people coming up to me afterwards who felt the same way. And so I was like, okay, well, I've got something special here. And it shouldn't, uh, it, this has more life to give than, than doing it, you know, in these little small rooms and comedy festivals and such. And so I, my, my big plan was actually pre-pandemic to tour the show. To tour it, you know, to more parts of Asia or the, or the States or something. But um, obviously, you know, this funny thing happened last year. Um, mm-hmm. And so we were kind of forced to be inside. And um, we were, me and my team were forced to think of other ways to take this message and take it overseas and get a bigger audience for it. And so I was like, what's the best way to do that? And we, where I ended up was going, well, why don't I just film it as a stand-up special? And... I mean look I I've been doing com- comedy for 10 years and so I feel very comfortable in my craft and uh, and knowing that I know what I'm doing while I'm still in the meantime still learning how to do it you, you know being a creative works and so I um I was aware of, like, well, if I film it, what what then happens with it? Like, what what do you do with it once you've filmed it? Like, what, where does it go? And so I just went, well, what's something that's been my long-term goal for such a long time? And it was to get, like, a special on, like, a Netflix or HBO Max or an Amazon Prime. And I just went, you know what? The world is on fire right now. And I think we could use a little bit of, um, like, I don't know, just, like, back yourself energy you know like there isn't enough of that here and so i was like well why don't i just like lead my example and just I, I i'm part of a comedy industry that punches well above its weight and we've seen that we've seen proof of that right we've seen proof of like people going overseas and absolutely just storming it like rose Ursula, right like they've, they've done it and so i'm like well why can't more people do that here <laughs> and so i just went screw it let's 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 go for it and now i'm you know I'm fingers crossed, uh, going to hopefully sell it to Netflix. That's that's on my that's on my vision board. So,
0: so I mean that that's I, I admire that so much because I I do think that New Zealand has this weird thing where we produce so many truly world class creatives and yeah. you can just see it across multiple different disciplines and yet we remain a country where our absolute pinnacle of our insults is hard. <laughs> yeah, you know, and there's just something kind of fucked up about that, that that mm. it would even be a thing that you'd have to kind of battle through this, like, I'm going to bet on myself. I'm at the, you know, I'm 10 years in, I'm at the height of my powers and I want to see where I can take this. The fact that that is abnormal when, you know, in any kind of non-dysfunctional creative economy, it'll be the most natural thing in the world. But it also makes me admire you so much for having done it. Just to kind of, because I do want to talk about the work itself because it Mm. it moved me so much as as I know it, it, you know, manifestly did did you from the stage, even though it wasn't directly for me and I found, found that interesting too. But talk about the, like, this, how how do you take it from I've made this thing I own mm. this thing which mm. is relatively rare normally there's another kind of interlocutor there to I want to I'm going to sell it to Netflix. So what is that process like?
1: Well, uh, it, it's really hard to like try pitch something to you know a giant like that obviously because like they're not just going to take any unsolicited submissions. Yeah, you can't just,
0: just flick a, like an MPEG. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that, you can't.
1: Keen, um, but in a weird way, I yeah I I think I managed to find a way to do it by having connections with comedians that i've worked with in the past and so at the moment i i mean you know touch wood, i don't want to i don't want like and i don't want to jinx it, jinx anything but i uh just have a con i have a connect there through comics that i've worked with that have specials on so Netflix. the conversation
0: is live yeah is it's it's right
1: happening here. but it's not you know who knows maybe yeah. maybe saying it publicly on this platform will probably <laughs> might might have killed it but that's but, a real new zealanders answer absolutely <laughs> if
0: you say it aloud it will almost <laughs> certainly immediately die
1: but i guess i like i I'm, I'm just i don't know i'm just trying to swim against like you said swim against like that tall poppy thing of like you know think like all the negative self talk that you have as a, as a creative of like you're trying too hard like people will think people people will think you you're 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 I don't know. You, you. People think you're better than that. You think you're better than them, and so I'm trying to swim against that actively. And I guess the only way to do that is to turn it up to a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> and to go, you know what? Like, I know this. The, this culture exists, and I'm just gonna. I might have overcompensated, but maybe not. Maybe this is just where normal creatives should be sitting at. Like this idea of like believing in yourself and believing in your work and trusting your creative instincts. But um, I don't know. I kind of forgot what the question was. <laughs> no, no, they, I just they, spend the time like guessing myself up. I'm like, I'm
0: gonna do it, man. No, but you should. You should. And no. I mean, and I think that the 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 work itself has some very specific qualities that mm-hmm. kind of lend itself to that ambition. I think.
1: Well, that's the thing too. And I think that as much as I sit here and I'm like, it's about following your dreams and going for what you like. But I also really believe in the work itself. Like the work is the thing that's kind of guiding me and allowing me to feel comfortable in the idea that. This is bigger than myself. And so it, it's allowing me to feel comfortable enough to to push past the negative self-talk because I know that the work has the ability or the potential to speak to a bigger audience than it currently is speaking to. Totally. So I, I believe in that. You know? Yeah, you don't have
0: to add those qualifiers. Like, yeah, it, no, no, just, no, I, <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're just doing this kind of <laughs> therapy to like cleanse ourselves yeah, from for the, sure. the, the New Zealand uh, <laughs> the, that Um I mean... One thing that that struck me was a mm-hmm. I'd never seen you in anything like as as big a room as that doing doing a, sol, a solo show. That's like Q Theatre. That's a that's a big room. What's capacity there?
1: Uh, it was four hundred and fifty for the comedy fest, and both shows sold out. Uh, first show sold out. Second show sold well, but we had to to paper some paper <laughs> something. Look, I mean, I'm I'm being full transparent here. I'm airing no, it all I out. love
0: that. I love that. I mean, because you know, and, but you could feel the energy, and you also. It suddenly felt like there was a lot of uh, a, a huge Filipino community mm. in the room yeah and and that, that was a I mean that must have been a tremendously gratifying thing given the subject matter of the show do you want to actually just explain for for the audience what uh, boy Mestizo is a, is about and mm. um, and what it feels like to have that community which is a you know it's a huge and growing community in New Zealand. Doesn't necessarily have as much visibility. You are part of mm. that, uh, and obviously that comes with a lot. And that that's you know part yeah. of what the show is. So just just go through it.
1: Um, so the show itself uh, follows uh, my journey going back to the Philippines for the first time after living in New Zealand uh, for twenty years, um, and it kind of it deals with the theme of. Like it, like most shows about the di- like diaspora of a certain country, it deals with ide- like identity and just like trying to understand what it means and what being a real Filipino, quote-unquote, real Filipino means when you don't live there. And then ov- obviously, you know, going back to the Philippines, you learn the good and the bad about your culture and about yourself as well. You know, the good being, you know, we are like so family-oriented and I think that's beautiful and I think that's great and that's it, lovely. But then the bad being like, well, we still harbour... All these colonial hangovers from the colonial period, um, you know, when we were colonized by Spain and, and America later on. And, and how those things manifest themselves in, 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 in modern day Filipino, you know, culture. And so um, this, the show is kind of wrestling with that, wrestling with the good and the bad of the, you know, the Filipino culture and, and, and wrestling with the generational trauma that we are still dealing with. So that kind of is how it functions as a Filipino creative. But removed from that, I feel like, and I think this is why New Zealanders or like non-Filipino people still resonate with the show. The show actually allows you to to understand generational trauma by removing the New Zealand context out of it. So like New Zealanders and Kiwis will watch the show even if they didn't have an understanding of how colonial trauma works here because they're seeing a, a story that's not a New Zealand story. They can then make the parallels themselves and at the end all i have to do is connect those dots and say hey this exists here too and so that kind of allows it to have this universality that even if you're not filipino you would still understand Um, but yeah so that that's the kind of the show which honestly i know sounds not very funny (laughs) and trust me it is a marketing nightmare to market a show about decolonization Um, but so that's kind of what that is at the heart of the show and so you said there were there were a lot of Filipino people in the audience there, and that's that's something that I've worked really hard for, and especially the last three or four years to build as an audience here in New Zealand. Because, like you said, we're kind of under, underrepresented. Like everyone knows a Filipino friend, everyone knows a Filipino person who's like you know whether you're at it's at your work or like you have a family member who's married into a Filipino family. You know someone who has like made you eat too much food at a family gathering. <laughs> But for some reason, we're just not on telly. We're not on stage. We're not on... We're just... There's not enough of that. I can think of maybe three or four of us in the vast majority of the landscape of New Zealand media. Like, we don't have a Filipino nurse on Shortland Street, and that is wild to me, because I don't know if you've ever been to every (laughs) Filipino uh, hospital in New Zealand, but I feel like I am at a family birthday party whenever I go to one. But... So it's a huge deal for me to be able to build this audience because I think in, in, in the Filipino culture, the arts is seen as like a very Western or a white thing to do because there hasn't been anything made for us in new, the New Zealand media landscape. It's a new idea that there could be a Filipino person in the thing that you're watching or in the live performance you're going to see. And so selling the show and even I directed a show last year called Panai which is a, like the first Filipino theater piece. It was produced by Pat, our, our theater company, like produced at a large scale like that. And we had a similar experience of like hearing all these Filipino voices go, oh, I didn't know this was here for me. They People literally said, I didn't know the basement was here. I didn't know that existed. It's just because when you when the communities don't see themselves in these things, they don't feel like it's for them, right? And so my I guess my goal as a creative, and this is why it's really satisfying to have Filipinos in my audience, is to change that and to go, no, this art should be for everyone. It's, it's, it should speak to you as in your humanity and, and and you as a person. And so, um, yeah, I, I, it's really, it feels really good to, to answer, to answer your story. It feels incredible that, you know, growing up in New Zealand, being a migrant here, I never saw myself. I never felt like this was for me. And now I can start to change that culture for younger people in the future. And then maybe they can, you know, they won't have to feel like, well, Jeff the Wiggles close enough. He's probably Cambodian. Like, do you know what I mean? So I think, um, I yeah, mean, uh, thing, I
0: think actually, I don't know what you mean because yeah. I grew up seeing just heaps of dudes <laughs> looks exactly like me. Like, you know, yeah, six yeah. o'clock news. Like, and and that's this kind of extra layer that uh, you know different identities have to carry along with just being a comedian and trying to trying to yeah. get by and so on. But I look at your career uh, proudly Asian theater which you mm. just mentioned and and in freaking dangerous bro it seems to be like there is a kind of a, a desire to to build communities and to create um, a place where you know ide- underrepresented identities feel like they're they're safe and they, they belong and and so on and and you know if you look at how long um, Pat yeah uh, has has been around that's been something you're doing before there was you know when you were just baby steps into your career. Do you want to talk about Proudly Asian Theatre, about mm. what you were seeking to accomplish and, and how that sort of theatrical side meshes with you know the, the comic side of your...
1: Yeah, so Proudly Asian Theatre is a theatre company founded by myself and Chai Ling, and we both went to drama school together. So we trained at Unitech, despite my mum telling me not to. Um, <laughs> we well, I went to drama school with Chai Ling, and I remember in our third year, we both literally just sat down and had a chat and went, Okay. Well, what's out there after this for us? And we went. Well, how many roles can you go for? Like, you know, are we going to get auditions? Are we going to get? Are we going to get work after training? All the and spending thirty grand and being in debt. Is this going to work out? And we just concluded that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, there might be one or two things for us. And so we went. Okay. Well, what's the? What do we have to do then to make sure that there is work for us? And so we started this company full, like full transparency the the intention of just getting us work just us two so it was like a very selfish reason it was just we wanted to work but it,
0: that's i mean oh, no, no, i don't know just, I, just I, wanting to work
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's okay it's, no absolutely it's 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 selfish in a way that it's like not that it's like a negative thing but it's just like we were thinking of ourselves yeah but eventually after maybe two or three plays and putting things on we went and after conversations we'd had with audience members or people who supported the, the shows that we did, we went, oh, this could actually be bigger than, than both of us. Because what started happening was we both actually started, um, because we raised our profile by doing these shows, we started getting work. So we, people went, people saw us, we were visible. And so we were doing okay for ourselves. And when that happened, we went, okay, now this is no longer about us getting work for ourselves. What can this now be? And we went, well, what have we always wanted to see? in the landscape of New Zealand theatre. And we went a place where, you know, Asian diaspora can come together and celebrate how beautiful their cultures are and how beautiful New Zealand culture is and all of that mixing together and a place for artists of, of Asian descent to be able to be to feel empowered and make work. And so we went, okay. And so there was a big mental shift in terms of what the co papa of the company became from empowering like Asian quote-unquote stories To empowering the artists themselves and empowering um, and creating a platform for people to feel safe to do that. And so that's when it became kind of a bigger thing and the direction of the company changed. Now the the main focus of the company is, like you said, creating this sense of community amongst the Asian New Zealand uh, theatre sector. And as well, upskill Asian creatives and create a place where people can feel safe to take risks. You know, if you've never written anything before, but you've always wanted to, come to a play reading, come to come to a fresh off the page. Like that whole initiative is set up to to empower those creatives who have always wanted to, but maybe felt it's like an unstable career decision or, you know, and so... And, and uh, that's why I, I, I always celebrate um, the play that I directed, Panay, as a as a success story of, of Pat's story because Panai was a play written by Marianne Infante who had never written a play before, wrote uh, the script for one of our play readings, then um, workshopped it after that, and from the workshops then started to develop it and eventually we got it to stage and we got it to um, main stage at Basement and did a, a sold-out season. And so she was the first person to go through the the actual process and go all the way till the end and staging a full a full show and there's there's heaps more coming up but that was the first one where we really went oh this blueprint works and now we can keep going and and moving forward and changing the the landscape of new zealand theater that must be so
0: validating we'll just take a very quick break and then return for more with more from james The Fold is brought to you by O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centers. I'm super grateful to O-Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Alright, and we're back with James Roque. Can you talk a bit about how this whole thing fits together as a you know, not to put too too fine a point in it, but like these are when we talk about these creative pursuits, we tend to really emphasize the work and not the mm. you know, how you make a living and grow and make ultimately a career mm. in this space. And I often sort of look at um Comedy in particular, but also those adjacent things. And there's like there's a few people right at the top who seem to, you know, have very good work get a lot of opportunities. And then there's this sort of hinterland where you kind of have to cobble together a career. And it's like it should be hard. It's it's a it's a if you can make it work, it's a great profession. But there are always more. There's always more talent than than slots. So mm. do you do you feel like the the sort of economy the creative economy side uh, uh, in terms of how it works for for comics and so on is in good shape like it's trending in the right direction or is it still harder than it needs to be and what what could
1: what could change to make it better well i think yeah it's really from a from a from someone who has like you said and this is like I don't. I don't really see this as a negative, but like the cobble cobbled together a career situation. I would classify myself as someone who who had to do that, you know, because I. And from the outside, it might not seem like it. Like I think some comics might look at my career and go, "What are you talking about? You're doing everything. You're on telly. You just did the mass singer. What are you talking about?" Yeah. But all those things really only happened because I did things to increase my visibility in the industry i started in the gigs where that didn't pay and i just made sure that i was visible in, in that but i think to to answer your question i think it is I, I do think it is trending in the right direction but that might i mean that might just be coming from someone who is privileged and is working and so you know maybe there there are people listening to this going what are you talking about like you haven't done an open mic like an unpaid open mic in months what do you <laughs> i do three of those a week but i think for me i look around the in terms of comedy, anyway, um, I look around at the comedy landscape, and all the people that I see who are working hard and are talented and are uh, uh, are putting the work in are working, and they they're whether it's um, paid stand up work or paid writing work for television or um, paid work in, on in theater on the stage or on, in film. I think there are there are avenues that that people can you know explore but i think in new zealand it's real like comedy is so i think people have a misunderstanding of how to make a career in comedy in new zealand because i think people think that or comedians will start in the industry and think that the only way that you can make money is like do stand-up stand-up or seven days those are the two (laughs) ways to make money but i think you get maybe around four or five years into your career and, and then you understand that you have to upskill yourself in other areas of your of your creative um pursuits um you have to you know you have to hone your writing craft and when you do that, there are avenues that you can then earn um money in and and then from there you can maybe even further diversify your skill set and like you know so yeah, it is kind of like.
0: The writing thing's interesting, right? Yeah. Like I, I want to get back to the other aspects, but like to, I remember it blowing my mind to find mm. out that people got paid per joke oh, yeah. for writing for 7 days. So that well, these guys weren't just, you know, sitting around being funny that they were given material and it was it was you know, like how much of that goes on and how much of a kind of just a sort of ticking over mm like as a, as a baseline, is as, as that part of, of comedy. What do you mean,
1: like in terms of like the kind of behind the scenes writing Yeah, like,
0: because like I think that the public just have a perception that, hey, this person's mm. being funny on screen, that's because they're funny. And it's like, yeah. well, yeah, but, you know, the, certainly the ones who are working the hardest don't have time to be that funny, you know? Yeah. And there's there's other...
1: Well, I think know, there's, um, what's it called? In terms of making a comedy program, you want it to be the funniest version of the program that it can be, right? So, of course... I mean it's a no brainer. You would employ other people to make it even funnier than it could be without even if a is life. Yeah, I mean look, I think um I think in terms of writing gags for other comics on shows there is that that does exist, but I think if you are a good comedian, even if you get pitched a joke from someone else, you will find a way to make that joke your version of that joke. Like it doesn't I don't think it's like, you know, if you get pitched like a spec joke that it makes you a lesser comic or, like, you know, people watching should think that you're a lesser comic. I think that that person should still have the the autonomy to own that joke and give it their flavor. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So I think,
0: and I don't think you're a lesser songwriter. No, no. Just
1: because you sometimes sing other people's songs, right? Absolutely. And I think it's real weird because, I'm like, that is the first thing that people go to when, when they find out, oh, they have writers? Oh, they must not be very good. It's like, no, they're... That they're there for a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They got there because they're funny. They're just making them even funnier, like you know. And so, um and there's also, I mean, I say that, but there's other jobs where you can be a comic and you can write that isn't necessarily coming up with jokes. You know, like I, I do writing for Have You Been Paying Attention, and our version of writing the show isn't like writing punchlines. It's writing setups. So we have to look for news articles in the news in the week and you're looking for potential to be funny for the for the panel to then come in and be funny for do, do you know what i mean and yeah, so it's no, like no, no, totally. but only a comic who knows how to do a setup punchline or like really well can come in and if they have that skill set they're able to just pluck the first bit out and go oh here's a here's a setup now give me eight punchlines when you're on the panel you know so it's like i guess what all that to say is that being a quote unquote writer if you're a comedian, doesn't just mean that you're writing jokes. It just it also means you're kind of utilizing and explo- exploiting your other skill sets that you developed as a comedian. And that could also just be like confidence or like instincts. Like it doesn't have to be the skill set of writing a joke. You know what I mean? And so I think it's understanding that that allows you to work in New Zealand. And also a combination of like that and someone just believing in you and backing you to to feel like you can put your hand up and go, I'm actually very good at what I do. Can you hire me?
0: I mean, and on that, like one of the big, you know, certainly as a, someone observing the comedy scene and looking at infrastructure that just mm. gets people work, uh, you know, Jono and Ben seem to be a huge part of that. Yep. Um, you know, irrespective of what you thought of the show, mm. the number of people who who came through you know, various roles on that show, on and yeah. off screen, uh, and got to basically exist. You know, like be the validation of yeah, I can, I, I can w- work here. Has the, and and yet that that's now gone and kind of scattered to the four winds to mm. some extent. Has that left a hole, or has it kind of been filled by the likes of Have you been paying attention? And these various other sort of uh, you know shows that are. Use comedy in, in different forms.
1: Yeah, I feel like I was extremely privileged to be part of that team because, like you said, that was like a training ground for if like if you. At any it was like a time, comedy
0: version of Short and Street in a way. It's like you make your bones by doing your time there.
1: Yeah, it's like you when if, it was a like if you walked in that writers room in 2016, 2017, It was a who's who of like all the comics that you know now, like cause, and they're all like honing their craft and like that. Pla- I'll never forget that place taught me how to properly write. A joke, like I'd always been funny and I'd always been able to like write stand up and stuff. But to able to sit down, to be able to sit down and like break down the funniest version of the sentence, like what, how can I shift these words around where things end up to get maximum laughs? That's where I learned that. And so I think that being gone has like definitely like it's left like it breaks the pipe in a way. Yeah, like it's left a hole. I, I would I would say so. Yeah, because I think having like a mainstream primetime comedy show to work on and and behind the scenes take risks and, you know, some some weeks they pay off, some weeks they don't. We saw the show. <laughs> I, and I love it. And I love the show and I loved working there. But to have that place where you can take risks and, and actually, um, you know, learn to make mistakes. And get up
0: the next week and just do it all again, is, you know.
1: Is, is, it, was a, it was the best training ground we possibly could have. I, I do I do miss having a show like that. Like, you know, I wish – I've always said that there's – I feel like there should be room in New Zealand for, like, at least one – like no Fallon, a Conan is probably the best yeah. example of a, of a show that I like comedically. But like a, a like a Conan O'Brien or like you know a Samantha B kind of talk show like that. Because and I don't know, maybe the tall poppy is probably the thing that's stopping that. But I've always felt like that that's like a hole that's in New Zealand. I know Mike King had a show like that in the day, and I know did you ever watch that? No, but I remember it, seeing true. it as a kid. Yeah, I remember seeing it as a kid, but I didn't really understand it, you know. But yeah. now I'm like. America has like eight of these things. We can't have one. Like and that's why I was really proud to be working on John and Ben because I felt like it was the closest thing we had at the time. You know, even the version when we first went to seven thirty and we had guests on a couch. I was like, I'm working on Letterman in New Zealand. Like this is the closest we're gonna get, like for now, you know. You know. But so it was like, yeah, I was it was a very huge privilege to work on that show. Yeah, and it, do, it does feel like there's
0: there's been it's such an amazing thing because it didn't fe- – it felt like there were some people who had careers who mm. happened to be comedians. This is up to, like, 2010. Over the last decade, it was a plausible thing that, like, dozens of people had. And that show as a kind of a finishing school, it's missed. And if they could – we need something to, to replace it. It's, Absolutely is my theory of it, uh, another kind of seven thirty PM <laughs> blockbuster that you've just come <laughs> off that I watched every, every minute of because I um, <laughs> it's a reality TV podcast uh, was the Masked Singer. Yeah. That also felt like a breakthrough for you in terms of um, yeah, and uh, like in terms of visibility, both for you personally and for that that whole uh, Filipino community that you just discussed not having these opportunities. Like, tell me about making that very very weird and silly <laughs> and somehow super fun show.
1: Yeah, so that show is I remember getting the call for it, and i I've, I've heard of the show before. Um, it's a, like. Like global format, it's that a phenomenon. Ev- every well. country has. We're one of the last ones to get it, and I only learned that once I signed on to do the show. I was like, "Oh, Algeria has this. <laughs> like, Azerbaijan has this." Anyway, uh, I remember getting the call and being like, "How do I feel about the show?" Like, really? No, no, no. Well, I was excited because I was like, "This is huge." First of all, I was excited
0: because because it feels like it would be such a you know to get in front of that many people. Just even when you're trying to sell tickets to your comedy show, whatever else you might want to do. That feels like it's a moment.
1: Yeah, but I think for me, I... And this isn't like a snobby, ugh, I'm an artist, but it's more <laughs> like any... I have I said to myself a, like, a couple of years ago, I was like, any work that I do, I should be fulfilled. Like, I should... And I wanted to shift in my thinking from going... Raising your profile for X this X Y Z, and you know, growing an audience to why am I doing this work? Being more like, deliberate with yeah, it, yeah, and trying to understand why um I'm doing something. Do you, do you know what I mean? And like, and and just I don't know because I I was just like looking for ways to be happier as a creative, and so I got that call and I was excited. I was like, that's huge. This is amazing. This is an, an, an amazing opportunity. And then I was like, how do I feel about the show? And I was like. You know, I I I love reality TV. I'm a I'm a big reality TV fan. But for me, it's like, and it, it knows what it is. It's like popcorn television. But for me, um, yeah. So I was like, do I want to do a reality TV show? is my question that I asked myself. And you, my first instinct was like, oh, I'm not really. But then I thought about it more, and I was like, you're being, you're being silly. No, no. no I thought about it more, and I was like. Actually, this is an opportunity for someone who looks like this to be in front of that many people in a national like we and in, in like a national scale. And I think as regardless of how I feel about reality shows, and don't get me wrong, I love the show by the way, is like like as soon as I like actually said yes, I went, why was I even thinking about this? This was of course. This is a silly show and it's so fun and it's like, it's bonkers. No one's ever done it in New Zealand. Why wouldn't you want to be part of this? But the more that I went, this is a chance, another chance to fulfill my co-papa as an artist. To increase visibility of not only Asian New Zealanders, but specifically Filipinos in New Zealand media. It's a, it was a no-brainer. And so, you know, it was, a, it was a huge honor to be a part of it. Like, it was, it, was, it was a massive privilege, and I, yeah, had a great time.
0: I honestly got the sense that, A, that it was a great time, but B, mm. that a bunch of the people involved would have had a, that similar kind of internal dialogue. Uh, you know, when I saw Troy Kingy get revealed, yep. like, that dude is all-time, yeah. like, artist. Um, and yet, he I imagine the conversation was so similar. I know that he's talked about... Doing it for you know so that his his kids mm. could could see him and get, and get excited, which I totally buy. But I, there must also be some sense of like you look at the extent to, to which his career and his choices are very curated and and considered. There is a, a negative way of framing that show where it might seem like yes. it's an outlier, but there's also a kind of now hundreds of thousands of New Zealanders who could really stand to know Troy Kingi. No Troy Kingy.
1: Absolutely. And I literally, my that happened to my flatmate. My flatmate was like, oh, I'm going to go listen to his music. And now she's a fan. And it, it genuinely worked. And I think for, for me as well, I don't know, man. Like, there's a pandemic going on. Like, is it not enough for something to just be fun? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, and it why can't that just be enough that this is a fun thing it's not harming anyone like we're all like you know what i mean so yeah,
0: but it's, uh, yeah. it's like weird that we're both having to just, just no no no
1: but i guess it's just like i don't know like i remember when the show came out there was just like you know and i it's not i wasn't surprised i'm like you know it's a very easy punching bag to like to riff on but i feel like there should be room for silliness in uh, play I, I, yeah you
0: know? it's, it's weird eh? because like comedy like all forms feels yeah. like it has to make a grand statement about the way we are today yeah all the time irrespective of the, whether the person kind of really needs to be making it yeah it means that sort of just silly just like i think that you should
1: leave style is there a point to this or is it just like killing yes. me you yeah. know um well it's just the thing too it's like well you can you can you know look at my work on the mass singer is like oh what what's this guy like does all this guy does it's like, no, well, if you actually bothered to look, I actually have a show about decolonization of the Philippines and of the Filipino diaspora. But I, I don't know, I feel like people... can't be decolonizing full time. No, home, and it's a lot to carry. It's also so much like to dredge up your trauma and talk about it That and, and and to to make work out of your own trauma. And so, God forbid, that person also wants to do just a silly show where... Celebs are like dresses, pavlovers.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and you look at you people know,
1: should be able to exist. It's not a, it's not exclusive. You know, it's not a binary. People contain multitudes. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? and
0: and you know, yeah. like Lady Six, who we've we've tried to do a project with, which is honestly like. The thing that I most want to do. Oh, um, man, to she's, uh, she's all time talent as well. She had to make that choice. Yeah, you know? and
1: also I was sitting next to Lady, just starstruck, super starstruck, sitting next to Lady Six the whole time. By the way, I know I seem chill on television, but I was like
0: sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, like you, you just did a show with Reese Darby, who's made a show like a phenomenal all-time success show with, yes. with HBO. Like, there's just no way you don't soak up things you can learn. Yeah. Also, Sharon's just one of the greatest people. On uh, it, no, no, so no.
1: I think honestly, it's a it's a byproduct of. Of Top Bobby. Yeah. The so, idea of like, why are you trying? <laughs> How dare you try? How dare you try and actually work hard to build this costume one person who made all the costume shout outs, by the way. Unbelievable. We had the Pavlova
0: in the, in our um, the corner of our room for like three weeks. It was just
1: every time I looked at it, it was this is unbelievable. It was it was dope. And and of and of course the first thing you read on in the internet was like,
0: Why do these look like they're from Look Sharp? Are I'm you like, kidding me? They do not bro, look like they're from Look Sharp. Yeah,
1: it's it's madness. But it's I think it's a byproduct of this negative self talk we have as a nation collectively, that you know, how dare you? <laughs> Who do you think you are? Think you're trying and wor- working hard to achieve what you want in life and change the world? Just be satisfied with some mediocrity. Could yeah. you not? Could- just, could you just shut up, man! <laughs> don't. I, honestly, I it was seeing people like Rose, Reese, Tyka, like Ursula Carson was just like I don't know. I, I was. It's just inspiring seeing those guys, seeing those people do their thing. You know, and so I don't know. I'm just i guess if you're listening to this like just do it just do just do the thing <laughs> do you just do want to die wondering I, I, and I know that's a privileged position because some people yes but even if you still have a job do it at night do it when i don't know uh maybe <laughs> maybe this will get me cancelled but I, that's my stance is do the thing always
0: <laughs> if you get cancelled for saying do the thing we're all doomed hey james that was so great uh Love the show! If uh, you're, you're still you're touring it still, is that correct?
1: I think the uh, the the plan is to you know before like uh, sell the show, but in the meantime, still yeah, take it take it overseas once obviously COVID dies down a bit. Then if you get the chance, other places
0: uh, whether on stage or hopefully soon on Netflix, uh, see the show. It is it is magic, and uh, yeah, thanks
1: so much for coming on the show. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. That was The Fold,
0: brought to you by our partners at Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Kia ora e te iwi, Kia butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off.